amazing. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know if I'd ever have. He's gonna be on the. He's gonna be on the Broncos. I don't know. You know, most my best friend Stefan too. He was a big football player, and he has so many concussions from it. He. Oh yeah, yeah. That stuff is crazy, dude. And he doesn't want his son playing football. He plays basketball. Okay, so where'd you where'd you kind of fall on this then? Where'd you fall on the concussion? Can we segue into the concussion for me? Sure. Because like I I think it's I I find it really because you work in the fitness industry so i think you probably appreciate the level of athleticism that these guys have and stuff oh yeah um and also like you know there's the the whole because here's the thing right because you can get like a free ride at college if you're a good player right you can the major universities my wife went to lsu and these big i I believe they that's their scholarship is football Mm. and i mean they still they have majors they go to classes and stuff but i believe they are it is covered 100 percent or mostly because they play football football yeah. college football is big business the stadium where my wife went to school louisiana state university it holds about a hundred thousand people yes yeah, but you probably you played rugby is it similar i played i played rugby well here's the thing about rugby is um so actually I'll, we, we can talk a little bit about concussions because i got some interesting military stuff on this too but so sure. rugby is like you're taught from a very young age with rugby where, um, how to tag like rugby is a hard sport don't get me wrong you know like um rugby is a hard sport but where you, you get told ta- taught how to tackle from young age and the tackling is all about getting your head in the right position where you tackle so if you imagine someone's coming towards you or like say a slight oblique angle to you it's all about getting your head behind them and your shoulder in front of them so there's no hit onto your head your head goes behind mm-hmm. them right now what they're noticing now is because these guys are getting so big and strong now is that when they hit each other now, it doesn't matter that even if the head doesn't get hit directly, the shock of body hitting body at the speed and the power these guys are can shake the brain inside the case, even without the actual head getting hit. You know, so it's like a whiplash effect and the soft tissue of the brain gets bounced around the side of the skull. So when we were in Afghanistan and stuff, you've got like these explosions going on. So like, even if you find the IED and you, you blow it up, you might stand like 50 yards away behind some cover and blow this device. Now, that blast wave is rocking everything inside you, even if you know it or not. Um, I think that's something, though, I don't know if it wasn't, like, known, or because we certainly didn't ever think about it, but I think that could be a real problem. I was like, you might not have had to, you might not have directly known that you've walked away with a concussion, but, like, all that, con- all those bangs and stuff going off next to you cannot have been good for your head. Was nobody diagnosed uh, with concussions? You don't get put it this way. When I got blown up, I didn't know where the hell I was for a so minute. So when you were uh, wait, explain, when you were blown up, what what do you mean? Yeah, blown I was up? in my ve- my vehicle hitting IED. And what happened to you? Um, um, I walked away from it, but like looking back on it, I like you can see that I sent I wrote a letter home to my brother that night, and like it is all over the place. And by the second paragraph, I write in the second paragraph, I'm like, it's taking me forty minutes to write this. I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took me like two, 40 minutes to write two paragraphs. Do you think you had a concussion uh, from it? Yeah, for sure. For sure, dude. So it's just, you, you, like, you know, you've seen the, the explosions and stuff that I put on my Instagram. You imagine that, that, pretty, that went off pretty much direct, like, un- directly underneath my vehicle, two yards away from me. Does the sound, is it uh, black? What does it do to your eardrums? Uh, they just they ring. They ring? Okay. Can, it can shatter they, they can blow, too, can they, it? It can, it can do, yeah. They can ring. Um, yeah. So the experiences experiences vary from different people. I mean, you know, unfortunately, the the explosion that I was involved in, you know, one of the guys didn't make it, mm-hmm. um, and some of the other guys were knocked out. 
and some of us walked away from it. So it's like, you know, when we were all within a couple of yards of each other, so it can just a lot of luck of luck of the draw. Wow. Yeah, concussions, I know uh, in football, there's a big thing with targeting now. That's helmet to helmet. Yes. And you, you had said it before in regards to football is that they're some of the best trained athletes. They are so fast. Sure. They are so Insane. strong. And they're trained to kind of obliterate each other. It's an interesting contradiction in football. I watch well, other, it. I love the, football, but I'm like, man, this is brutal. Yeah. Well, the other thing about football is like, so I, I, I actually like um, decided that I wanted to play football for there's teams in the UK, like amateur teams. So I so went American, there, I American football, American mm-hmm. football. So I went there and I got kitted out. And, um, and, and the difference I thought is like, cause they taught you to teach that. So they taught you to tackle by putting your head on the numbers. So you put your helmet on the numbers on the Jersey, which is the center the chest and the I, stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did that. And I straight away, I was like, well, this can't be good for my head because my head was pounding. Well, you're jarring. Uh, and it, was, it was also, yeah. Ooh. And it was actually really hard to do it because, um, like because I was like I've been playing rugby since I was what like seven years old, seven or eight years old. So my instincts is like you know muscle memory is to just go for the head behind the body. Mm-hmm. So I actually found it really weird to to do that. Um, I don't know. Like I, I dude, I love football. I watch. Uh, I have a game pass over here, so I can watch. Like I, I watch the highlights for every game. I watch a few games in full. Um, I used to go when I was out in the states more. I used to go to UCLA's games at the Rose Bowl and stuff oh, like that. Like, I have some... Oh, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Dude, I, that's Rose Bowl, so that is the best place. The f- like the tail, tailgate there on the golf course is the most beautiful part. Like, it's so beautiful. You get this amazing sunset. I mean, I was pretty hammered at the time, so maybe I'm just thinking all this <laughs> And for those of us, what does hammered mean? Explain that. <laughs> hammered means, hammered means intoxicated. Hammered means that I was 30 years old, pretending I was 21, hanging out with college kids, oh, thinking cool. I wish I'd come to college in America. <laughs> Oh, college is always fun. Pasadena college, backs up to the mountains, college. too. Latin Glendale. Yeah, and that's why I, I, I never knew that about. When the first time I flew into L.A., like many people, the first time you fly into L.A., I had my face to the window, like, Hollywood! It's incredible. And, um, and then I was like, what the hell are these mountains doing here? <laughs> you just don't, it's not what you, you think. You don't think they, about they're it. They're beautiful. Huge. And they keep, I'm beautiful. Yeah, you have beautiful. Santa Monica Mountains. You have, uh, well, back by Pasadena and Glendale. It's a very, it's mm. desert, too. I grew up in Southern California. Yeah. In Manhattan Beach, and that Manhattan Beach in the so Bay Area. Jealous of you. Well, so jealous. I, I lived there till I was five. Then we moved to Wisconsin, which is I love Wisconsin, and I'd spend my summers in Manhattan Beach, Huntington Beach, Hermosa Beach because we own property and and some oil wells out there. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting. But nice. I love I, I love looking at maps. No, I, oil Baron V. I know it was like the show Dallas. If you do you ever see that? It was a big show in the eighties in America. Maybe it was. I saw the hairdos, pretty impressive. Big feathered hair and cowboy hats. And when we moved to Wisconsin, people, oh, the Vigs. We had a French last name, for one thing. You don't really have that much in La Crosse, Wisconsin area. And, and then, <laughs> you know, they talk about, oh, you know, we own oil wells. And I've always say, I'm like, they are way more trouble than they are worth. They, they're not what you think they are. People think Dallas, they think standard oil, big oil barons. I'm like, no, no, this was. We own five, and we probably, in the end, maybe lost some money on them because there's so much work. One time, one of the tanks cracked. This was in Huntington Beach, California. I wasn't out there. My dad was, but it cracked with the crude oil, and it it seeped all over the neighborhood. And my dad made the paper (laughs) also. Well, I I suppose it's one of those things like – 
it's economies of scale, isn't it? It's like if you're a huge company that manages thousands of these things, mm-hmm. you can have like a few engineers working for you and you can keep the money down. But, you know, a lot, like, you know, if you if you're a smaller operation, a lot of the same costs are the same and you can't spread, you know, but like you've got like a lot less income. Yeah. And, and my dad pretty much ran them by himself. I would help out, oh. but I was a kid. He'd be working with. Did you crack the tanks, Sean? Yeah, I was. I was kicking it. I was doing some burpees by him. <laughs> Stupid tanks. I, I never liked going there when I was a kid because we would go on the freeway and it was loud and, and busy, and we'd go to the oil wells. And the way God bless my dad, the way he was, it was always, oh, I, I just need to stop by and do something. And four mm. hours later, we're still there oh. because he did it all himself. I run my own That's fitness. That's working, Dad. Yeah, it's the same thing. You just. Oh, now there's this, and now there's this, and I, I, I grew to hate them as a child, but I really enjoyed being there because we were a block from yeah. the beach in Huntington I, Beach. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I have. So I have been to Huntington Beach. Great waves, and, uh, great waves, and you could take your. I dogs. don't know about the waves, but I tell you what, I fell in love about a hundred times. <laughs> oh, I know. I I had so many little relationships out there too with people you yeah. meet. I that was. I used to. I love going to Disneyland and I met a, anyway, I met a couple uh, ladies who worked at Disneyland too. This is before I was married. So it was okay. Um, <laughs> but I used to, my line, I'm like, Hey, I'm from Wisconsin. I always thought that would get me extra attention. I don't know if it did or not. But, no, dude, you need a British accent. Man. Uh, yeah. British accent. <laughs> and exactly. And Hey, I'm taking you to Wales. And what do you do in Wales? What's Wales most famous for besides Bryn Turbill? Rain and rugby, I suppose. The, the two R's. Oh, Tom Jones. Oh, I love Tom Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta. And do you know Bryn, Bryn yes, Terville? He's, he's a big opera singer. I love him. Bryn Terville. Bryn Terville, yeah. He's a singer. He's fantastic. I know he's from Wales. Yeah, uh, opera, opera singer, right? Is Enya from Wales? No, she's Celtic. I think she's Irish. Yeah, you're well, right. she's, she is. she is Celtic. Is in like Welsh and Irish people are both Celtic. But I think Enya's Irish. Okay. She's... I need to split this podcast up into two parts, don't I? I mean, I, whatever these notes say right here... <laughs> Look at this. I told you, dude, last time I did a podcast, we, we had to, we ended it, we're supposed to be our podcast, we did six hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a phone call at one with a publisher, so I can't go that. Oh, nice. But That's awesome. It's so great. We have each other's numbers. We can just, you could be a reoccurring guest too. I'm like, let's spend an hour just talking about shoes. We could probably do that or Pasadena, Disneyland, the beach. Um, uh, I want to. Disneyland. You know, so I, we can't talk about that one. Which one? Never been to Disneyland. Oh, you never. Oh, see, that's. I, I lived. In, You're like, no, no, we're not canceling the reoccurring guest. <laughs> not Disneyland. Click. <laughs> I, growing up in Southern California, I used to go to Disneyland all the time. And then when I lived, the last place I lived in Florida was in a town called Celebration, Florida. It's rather a famous planned community because Disney founded it. Oh. And it's only about five minutes from Walt Disney World property. So I. Well, I taught yoga and Pilates for cast members for about nine years. So I would go over there five days a week to teach. And I'd also, before I would teach, I would park and do a few loops at Epcot, go to Hollywood Studios and people watch. I'd bring my notes. I'd write things down. I'm sure you do the same thing. You know, as someone for myself who wanted to be more of a writer, who never thought I would really write fitness books until a publisher contacted me, I was very into like observing and writing things down all the time. Mm. Um, I wanted to segue into your, your writing career when you were deployed, did you, did you do any writing while you were deployed? Did you write things down? No. Oh, I kept the journal. Yeah. So I kept the, I kept the journal, uh, when I was in Afghanistan, I kept, 
I kept a bit of one in Iraq. The problem is with journals when you're on operations is that when stuff is busy, the last thing you're going to do when you come back in and you finally got like an hour to sleep and you're absolutely both tired is you're going to start writing. So like the days, the crazy days, you hardly write anything down. And then the boring days, the days you write. And that inevitably is like complaining about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I kept, a, I kept a couple of journals out there. I actually love looking in the journals now because you can see like the grime and like sweat, drops of sweat and like the dust and all and stuff. Um, and I used those to, um, I used those to um, base, I based my Afghanistan book off the journal entries that I made. You know, I, so I was, I was really lucky because the combination of that and letters that I sent home was meant that I could put piece together a very kind of like, I wasn't writing so much from hindsight. I actually had, because like when you, when you read like an entry, it jogs off your memory then rather than being like, because like my, you know, like, you know, we shed our skin as people, you know, what we should do anyway, if we grow and if we're trying to grow as people, you know, we shed our skin fairly often. And um, the way I view things now is not the way I would have viewed them when I started writing it probably four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did, the, the way I kind of got into writing was, um you mentioned my anti-piracy work earlier so i the first time i ever really kind of got chance to write was when i when i left the army started working in anti-piracy so i'd be on these ships going across the indian ocean making sure the pirates didn't steal them um and that was like the first time i had like a very solid rotation of like three hours on nine hours off um so i'd have like time to write and that's when i started writing and i started by trying my hand at screenplays um just think you know i got really lucky that things started going really well with the screenplays straight off the bat. But um, I, I almost got a TV uh, pilot into production, but then things fell through and I didn't get any money from it. So I was like, hmm, I don't want to keep doing this every year because I realized that like the chances of hitting a home run with a TV pilot or a feature are actually quite low if you're not already in the system. So it's not to say it's impossible, but it's the, the chances are lower. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you write a good book, someone's going to publish it. And that's the fact. Mm-hmm. You write something good, someone will publish it. So, but when did you first realize that you had, you had a skill for writing as a child? It was when I wrote the sequel to Jurassic Park when I was a child. And what was that and called? I wrote, it was called Whatever I Wrote, Jurassic Park 2. And then the movie came out and it was exactly the Jurassic Park Lost that Last World came out. And it was exactly the same as these children's scribblings that I'd written down after watching Jurassic what, Park. Did you read the Michael Crichton book and then write a screenplay? No, no, I just, no, I just, I just wrote it and, we, and it was almost identical. Really? Yeah, we still got it somewhere at home. And you're, kind of so crazy. you're getting royalties from that. Because at the time, yeah, I remember only... Lost World opened, at the time, it's been beaten, but the biggest opening in history was like $90 million. I was working in wow. Montana at the time. I remember seeing that, the big headline, $90 million. I didn't think it was anywhere near as good as the original, but it was a sequel to a massive mm. movie like that. And he's made so many. He's like, well, he's one of my favorite authors, the books that he came out with. And he passed um, away and the movies rather that young. Made them. Uh, he did, which is a tragedy. Yeah, it's a tragedy. I've read that a guy lot is of just stuff. absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, like I love the. Uh, do you like the Eaters of the Dead? Have you read that one? No, no. So that was turned into a movie with Antonio Banderas called Thirteenth Warrior. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, what I love about Michael Crichton is that he had these books. Like you know, he. I mean, he was like the the science and stuff. He was like, really he technical. Had, yeah, but then but then he come up like what I loved about his writing was that it was he could come up with something like uh, Jurassic Park. But then he could write something like Eaters of the Dead, which is about basically Vikings. Like he was just all over the board. He would just write good stories timeline. about whatever the hell he wanted to write. The timeline was one too. I bet you've read that. They go, they're back in time. It's the, I think the Middle Ages, medieval times. And they're in time. I don't think I've read oh, that one. Oh, put that on the you list. You have to write that timeline. one down. Yeah, yeah, they're, 
they're back in, I believe, they're somewhere in Europe, maybe France, but back in, uh, don't quote me on this, maybe the 1500s, but these are all students of the past. Like they speak these old French dialects. And that was wonderful. It's all, the, the plague is going on also. The timeline, look that up as well. I think I, what did I also read? Sphere? I've read a lot of his. And it's true because you watch the movie Jurassic Park and it's, yeah, it starts out there at the excavation. They're doing dinosaur excavation and stuff. But the book, the first hundred pages are all technical. They're all very technical. Yeah. My sister and her husband love them because they're my brother-in-law is a chemist and my sister's a bio. She was a biology major. So they, they really know on it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you writing that down? <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> I hear something. This timeline. Um, very. So the writing. You wrote screenplays. I was going to ask you, oh, so much stuff to ask. Who cares about time? I'll break this podcast up. Who cares? I can do another 25, and then i got to go meet my friend. Okay, no, that's, that's the, perfect, because uh, I, I like saying this, but I have a call with the new publisher at 1 o'clock. Dude, that's, no, that's awesome. That's dope. It kinda, it's a nice tie-in with what we're, what we're speaking about here. I wrote down all these little, these little notes here. Uh, Wembley oh that was NFL NFL does going back for a second NFL does do a number of games now in London because they're trying to get a bigger yeah, I've been to them in in England are you gonna go in Wembley yeah well why would I could go here in Denver oh yeah I know but I thought you said you made a note about NFL Wembley oh I I saw that they play there and I know they're very popular um they, yeah, they, they, it's really good they sell out Wembley which is like 80,000 people for the games Whew, just like having Queen there isn't it or in excess, yeah, that well, was a great concert too. So yeah, I can't say I'm familiar with <laughs> I can't say I'm familiar with in excess concerts, but like the NFL Wembley games are, are like they they are super cool. I, I used to go, to, I've gone to a few of them. Chargers used to be my team, so with they, they played out there. So oh, because okay, you you were in San Diego. Yeah, I mean, I just I try and spend as much time on vacation in California uh, as I can, and then I just kind of like try and try and like see a few new states every time I come over. Mm-hmm. So I did like three. I just I had like a. You can get like a ninety day tourist visa, so I always come for like a ninety day tourist uh, visa. Why, why don't you come to Denver, Colorado? We could do a video. It's on. It's on the list. Come, uh, Denver's one of my friends. Uh, he's a Marine Corps officer. Just retired. Well, just retired from the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's uh, he's in Denver now. So that's uh, Denver is on the list for probably the spring. Great, great. Well, you, you let me know. We could do a podcast. Absolutely. First, we could talk for eight hours, and then, <laughs> and then watch uh, war movies all day. Um, that sounds good to me. Uh, <laughs> I remember last year, because I teach classes here in town, and, and people surprise me a lot, or they let me know. People who follow my videos online, they come to the class. And I, I just remember now, I had a really neat guy. He was, a, I think, a captain in the British Army. He, he had popped oh, really? in. And he was, well, I don't remember everything, but he was probably late 20s. He had been enlisted for about eight or nine years. And he did a lot of training in Canada. Yeah, yeah. They, there's a big British Army, because there's a part of the Commonwealth. You know, mm-hmm. so um, there's a big, there's big training out because the thing is the UK doesn't have much space. You know, yes, that's there, what so he said. Like, and he if was, you do, if you do, I think with tanks, he was with a tank. Uh, yeah, uh, so like armored so division. These these, tra- these training areas in Canada, you know, because you what you're trying to do is you're trying to simulate, a, you know, to be quite blunt, uh, you're simulating a war with Russia, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to do that and to simulate these kind of like big tank battles with armored infantry and fighters and artillery and stuff supporting it. You need an insanely big training area because, you know, like a a war in the West, you know, the Cold War kind of scenario of army against army, 
you might be moving like more than 40 miles a day and there's just not there's just not training area size to do that in um to do those kind of operations because everybody's like all, all the room in europe is filled up with people yeah and canada's still pretty vast it's a oh yeah it's big big open areas um so the writing how did you i got blood forest in front of me and i want to say mm. if you love historical fiction. This is about uh, the Roman times, the Roman legions fighting the Germanic tribes in Germany. And it's, it's, it's so good because, you know, you read history, history can be a little, sometimes you just see big, big sequences, big scenes a lot, but this breaks it down into people, into actual individuals and the legions, the Romans fighting the civilians, the families, and also the, the Germans, the Germanic tribes. And I got a Blood Forest by, let me say your name, Geraint. <laughs> Geraint. Smash. Damn. Yeah, Boom. I, I'm four for five, I think. But Geraint. No, no, you, yeah, you, you, you're buying pretty well right now. And this is, this is the first book. I believe it's the four-part series, correct? Uh, I don't know how many parts I'm going to do yet. Okay. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't know. Yeah. yeah it's a, so the, the sequel comes out tomorrow in the UK. Um, and what's so that called? And I've, uh, it's called Siege. Okay. Um, and the third, I've written the third, I've written another one, but it's like, I feel like there's so many series that I read, which I love. And then I start to go, oh, dude, like, come on, man. This is just getting silly now. Like they're dragged out too long. Uh, they're, they're longer than I, and I totally understand why that is because that's probably when they're going to be making the most money. Um, mm-hmm. And there's probably a lot of pressure on those people to keep writing them. I'm hoping that I'm never going to do that um you know and drag out a series longer than it should be so if it feels right to be eight parts i'll do eight parts but if it feels like it should get wrapped up a five then i'll wrap up a five or you know i'm just kind of seeing where it goes because as people want more of it then i'll keep giving it but if it feels like it's gone i got plenty of other ideas to jump into so good so blood forest where did this come from oh you mean the idea yeah the idea how did it what like your writing process Ooh. how did this book come for rome for Pe- peyote and I gotta say, I love I love the mail on Sunday says a blood soaked page turner, and that's it's good description. It's very yeah. realistic. I don't want to say graphic because this is combat. This is medieval combat. Any kind of combat, it's realistic. Yeah, it's trying. It's like the kid, I'm trying not to make it gratuitous, but the um, but I think people should respect war more. And I know that sounds a crazy thing. So I'm, I'm sure your listeners like, look, man, it's like you you and you attract intelligent. Um, intelligent people who care about looking after their, themselves, which means they probably care about, you know, looking after all kinds of things, including each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people take war very lightly, you know, like there'll be a little bit of trouble somewhere and they'll be like, oh, we should go to war and stuff. And, and, I, and so I don't want to pull any punches when it comes to talking about war, because even as somebody who wanted to go and get involved in it, it's something that I wish didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that being said, the canvas of war is the for me. It's the it's what I want to write 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 about and write on because um, these extreme terrible situations bring out the worst and they bring out the best in people. And I and that's what I want to be writing about people. I want to be writing about people when they're getting pulled apart by emotions and stress and and because some people are going to break bad and some people are going to you know, become better people. And some people are going to, you know, there's people who you might have, might have overlooked in life become heroes. And I just, and that gets pulled out in war. Um, and also just from a personal point of view, 
I love soldiers. I love being around soldiers. So this way, I get to sit down and write about. So, so the way I tell these stories, unlike most of the, because there's, there's a lot of fantastic books about Roman soldiers, or sorry, about Roman army out there, but a lot of them tell it from the officer ranks and the general ranks, and they're about Julius Caesar and people like that. I wanted to tell it from a grunt's point of view. So these guys that are involved in like one of the, this battle, I would say, is equivalent to like Stalingrad in terms of magnitude of how it shaped the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys who were involved in it, in the, in the rank and file, they don't know any more about what's going on in the bigger scheme of things. Like they, you know, they can see a few guys to the left. They can see a few guys to the right. All they know is that they're cold, wet, tired. They're scared. They're in mud up to their knees. You know, it's just horrible situation. And I wanted to kind of tell it from, from the grunts level, you know, because I don't really feel like that's being done. And when we talk about, oh, Julius Caesar, he did this, he did that. Well, you know what? Julius Caesar wasn't doing any of that without a bunch of hard grunts who mm-hmm. were doing the, the fighting. And I just feel like I, I really believe through, through – I've been obsessed with reading about soldiers since I was a child. And it, what I've come away with, that the spirit of the soldier is timeless and it's universal. And, you know, it, it, I just don't see the spirit of the soldier changing. Like I said, I think there's – some people are pulled into it by circumstance and kind of rise to the occasion. Some people have it stamped into their DNA. But the way that people act once they're in uniform and in those situations just seems to be universal. And, and this way, I get to write barrack room conversations and everything like that. You get to tell their stories. Yeah. Just... Yeah. And I, 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 get to, I get to retell my own stories in some part and stories that I've heard from other units and other people. Because, like I said, these, these stories keep coming up and up and again. So I'm pretty sure in my mind that a conversation that a few comrades had with each other in Afghanistan probably was the same conversation that a couple of Roman soldiers in a German forest had with each other. It's true. We all have, as you said, we all have our basic needs, no matter which time period. Basic needs, uh, shelter, food, uh, yep. similar complaints. And as you said, it's very true. We all know Julius Caesar. Shakespeare wrote a whole play about Julius Caesar. Mm. History remembers these big names, but mm. it, it, it tends to, you don't hear about these, the infantry. Well, there's no, there's no, there's no accounts left to us. No, these guys didn't leave accounts. The only people who could leave accounts were people in positions of power like Julius Caesar. There's no foot soldiers account that's come down to us. That would have been unheard of, right, at that time. For oh, people absolutely. to write things down and for other people it's, to It's almost, of, to it's almost it. unheard of. From, like, I can think of, I'm just trying to think up to the Napoleonic War, you know, which we're talking a couple hundred years. I can only think of a few foot soldiers accounts that have survived from that. When you think there was hundreds of thousands of guys involved as foot soldiers, I can think, and I'm sure there's probably a few more, but to, like off the top of my head, I can think of two or three. Mm-hmm. And it, they all have I'm, stories. They all have families. They all have backgrounds. They all have incredible they stories. All have incredible. Fears. They all have yeah. strengths. They, and yeah. in, in life, that's what we a lot of times we want to hear about. We, we want to hear about when you watch old these old videos you can see on YouTube, it'll show uh, Paris in 1890. And you're looking at all these people. And my instinct is, who is that? Where, where did he come from? Where did she come from? Because they're all passed on by now. But what you just see them walking, but what were they all about? And yeah. it's so wonderful that you can, in your, your own mind, from your experience and your imagination, you can bring these soldiers to life. That's what I loved about it, because it, the way you wrote this book, it's like it's happening right now. And that's always so important, because I love reading history, is that you don't think it's something that is so long ago, it's in black and white, mm. and it, it was all... 
it was one big mass of an army that all thought the same and they yeah. all these all all these people were individuals and they all worked together yeah. but they're all individuals uh, the other thing that i wanted to kind of pull out in there is that i noticed because i started reading about this this particular battle i took a lot of books from me to iraq so that i could start researching it while i was out there and it took me a long time to get around to actually writing it because of circumstances but you know this this idea was it, it just struck me that when i was in iraq and stuff i was like wow um we're making some of the some of the same things are happening here as though it happened two thousand years ago, almost exactly two thousand years ago. I'm like, this is this is crazy that we're still doing some of these same things. For instance, the Romans underestimated the local force that they considered barbarians. I'm like, damn! I was like, this is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- and and then for instance, the just the idea of like this, you know, for for a Roman army, the Roman soldiers would have been as alien to um these like german like villages villages and stuff that they arrived in as we would be you know when we go to iraq and things i think it's it's important that we we learn lessons and take these things into account um you know it's 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 just it was kind of really interesting to me to see how history was repeating itself almost exactly two thousand years later it's an expression history repeats itself but it's very oh, true and it's, it, and it's true and it's absolutely underestimating true. people's resolve as well yes yeah based on usually or based on a cultural thing like everyone has this thing of our culture is it's really it's just like a you know it's like a thing of the human condition um and i i think that it's you know i i i write because i want to entertain people but at the same time when it comes to the historical fiction i want there to be an element of education what i think some people do better than me is that they will educate on you know there's some roman customs maybe that they will they will write about very well you know there's there's guys out there writing about roman fiction who are you know professors and experts and they know the ins and outs of certain the, things the time and um, place and, they, and mm-hmm. yeah and and they, they they'll put that across very well and i and i don't you know, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be able to do that better than those guys. But what I think I can do well is draw the militaristic lessons and some of the cultural lessons out of it, um, and try and make that because I think every book should teach you something. You know, and that that could be um, if it's a like they there should be a, a moral lesson or something in, in in every kind of book. And you know, because if you're going to invest the time into um, reading a book then you should come out of it with like the, the author I think should try and give you something in it aside from just entertainment. I don't think you should try and ram things down people's throats, but there should be something in there. Even if it's just like a little kind of reminder about how great people can be or something like that. Something that you come away with where you like either inspires you or teaches you. Mm-hmm. Well, as a writer, you have so many possibilities for that, especially drawing from your experience um, in combat with soldiers uh, working with different well, all sorts of different uh, soldiers and different nationalities going to different places. Mm-hmm. I want to wrap it up. I have two more questions here for you because I know you sure. got to go. Got to go overlook the ocean, the bathroom, and I gotta go. You know, I gotta do right <laughs> stuff like look out at the waves in the black night. Uh, and just I'll see you later, Sean. Stroke my beard. Stroke my beard. So, uh, one more thing: Blood Forest, the Siege, the sequel just came out. I'm gonna definitely pre-order yeah. that. And thank you so much. You, you sent me this book blood forest well uh, i wanted to thank you because you held my spine out because sitting down at the desk is not the um is not the nicest on the spine and the upper back it's my upper back i got a tight upper back a tight upper back lower back i you know i try and like take breaks and go for walks and stuff like that 
But yeah, I came across your video because I was telling my friend, I was like, dude, I was like, my back is in pieces. Mm-hmm. And uh, my back feels a lot better these days. Um, so funny. I wanted to send you that. So thank you. I love it. It's funny you say that because when you, you wrote this, thanks for taking the time to help others. My spine is eternally grateful. And I pictured yeah. that, that your spine was like that because of your years in the military. But you're saying it's more from all the sitting. I'm, dude, I'm very like typical of guys where I was like, I will go and lift weights or I used to, I go and lift weights. I'd never stretch. Um, and then I would sit down at the night and I think I got away with that in the army a lot because I was mobile a lot of the time, you know? So even though I was, I was not doing kind of active, I wasn't, sorry, I wasn't doing, um, static stretches and things like that. I was doing like a lot. My body was getting put through a range of motion, like Mm -hmm. a lot of the time of the day. So I got away with it. Once I started to sit around, I noticed that my, my, my posture was getting worse. You know, my back was starting to round out. My shoulders were coming forward. It's, um, it's killer. It's killer. Standing and sitting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I work with so many people, and you think that they have injuries from sports or car accidents, but it's like, no, I sit all day, and it's killing me. And they know they should get up and walk around and do things, but they don't really know what to do sometimes. Well, and it's not just the that big thing, thing is awareness. Be aware of how you're sitting. Get, get up, move around. There's awareness, but like I'm guilty of this too. Is I will get, I'll be like, okay, the I'm one standing I'm gonna do up now right is now. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Well, I'm, I know I've been standing up for this. I've been like rotating my back and stuff like that. I'll try and do as much as I can standing up, but I just can't get into writing standing up. I like sitting them, but I will. I might sometimes just get so zoned in on what I'm working on that it'll be a few hours later, and I'll be like, oh my god, I'm about to pee myself. Um, and then and then i'll just run i'll run to the bathroom and then i was i'm like i'm like ah i'll be like god my back hurts Mm -hmm. but it's it's i just got zoned into the work that's good you get lost that's a that's such a well it's good but it's not good for the back yeah exactly but how do you have to learn to work with that too because if you're on a roll and you're writing and you're writing and you're in that world you don't want to break it no do something else you might not get get the way i get around that now is um I get out of bed first thing in the morning, I grab a coffee, and I just leave the house straight away and go to the gym. Um, so I do my weights first thing in the morning. Um, then I'll, I'll tack a stretch on the back of that and then do some meditation. Then I go into my work day. So if I don't do anything else that day, then I've done some stretching. I've done some act, physical activity at the beginning of the day. Um, but what I try and do is, like, usually back end of the afternoon is I'll go for a walk as well. I'll go for a walk from about a 40-minute walk. And then okay. maybe like a bit of stretching on there. But as I'm walking, you know, I'm trying to get my, I'm, I'm deliberately kind of like moving, rotating from side to side as I'm walking and that kind of stuff. And it's good. The twisting. Moving my shoulders around. Yeah, do the yeah, twisting. Yeah, moving my shoulders around. I want you to hear my on. voice all the time. My clients they hear my voice saying, put your shoulders down, breathe, <laughs> uh, engage your I see the movie references. Yeah, movie references are, are all, oh, those are so good. All right, one that's last what, question. That's, dude, that's, oh, what? that's what, hang on, I got to just tell you this. That's what got me into it because I said to my friend, I was like, I know I should do yoga and stuff, but I was like, it seems so boring. And my friend was like, what's his, what's his, uh, he's going to be so jealous I talk to you, by the way. Um, oh, so I want to say, yeah, I want to say thank you to, thank you to Tim for, uh, for, for putting me onto you. Well, tell um, Tim, but he was like, hey, and tell him to, well, leave he's going to listen to this. No, he's, yeah. he's going to listen to this. Oh, well, hi, Tim. Um, Relax your but, shoulders. Uh, there you go. That, that'll make his day. But <laughs> um, yeah, he, he he was like, <laughs> he's like this guy's like he's like he's like this guy's funny. He's entertaining, um, and he he said like you, the time will go fast, and it does because otherwise I'm like I, I I'd be clock watching. Otherwise I'd be like ah, I don't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean it makes a big difference. So thank you. I appreciate. What was the first movie quote that you heard me say? Do you remember? 
Because I, I see I life in terms of movies. So something and songs to do with meatballs. Too. I just remember. I remember me. Something to do with meatballs. Oh, the movie say, meatballs. Movies. Yeah, you said some of oh, the movie Meatballs because I'd never yeah. seen that. That one, so that one sticks in mind. That's yeah, Bill that Murray's first movie. Yeah, I've never seen it. Not really Filmed up in... I think I think Bill Murray is like more kind of like uh, canonized in like America than he is in, in the UK. Like he, I feel like he's kind of quintessential American. He's become an institution. He's one of those guys. Yeah. It's Bill Murray. He's like Clint Eastwood. Uh, certain actors out there, I'm like, oh, Bill Murray, Ghostbusters. He can do comedy. He can do serious. He kind of mm. he he got into that niche where he was very. He could access any kind of role. He's very good. Yes. Yes. He's like kind of like the, well, actually, I was, no, I got to take that back. I was going to say The Rock now, but I don't, I feel like The Rock now can't do certain. It's like, I feel like in the past, he could have, like, he, he, his, I was going to say, like, in Ballers, he's, he plays a serious character, but thinking about it, he actually doesn't. He's kind of like a comedic character in that, too. Well, The Rock is pure charisma. But he is, I, a, but he's an institution. You he know? is. He is. I used to watch like him in WWE. I want to say WWF, but they had to change it to WWE. But he was man. Uh, that's. I'm going to have you on again. I want to talk about a lot of your writing, how you write, and and because that's such. I'm so interested in that also. And we'll talk about The Rock at WWE. <laughs> One last I'll talk question. About the Rock all day. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, University man of Miami, Chris, serious football. man, Chris. Yeah, he's yeah, like a linebacker. He's the, he just does everything. Like I don't like his guy's got like I was gonna say. I used to think people like him. I'm like, oh, he must have so much time in the day. No, dude, he just works his. He never stops every minute. Yeah, his, his kind of he's life inspiring. we can never Super imagine. Inspiring. We can't imagine what his life is like. It's heightened. He's on a he's a, he's heightened all day long. Yeah. Everywhere he he's, goes, yeah. boom. very inspirational. He, very inspirational. He is. Yeah. All right, one last thing. What? What book do you recommend besides yours, of course, for historical fiction? Oh, Bernard Cornwell. Bernard Cornwell is the absolute OG of historical fiction. Um, he also, if you want to like, if you're just uh, not in the reading mood and you want to watch some TV, he has a show based on his books called The Last Kingdom, which I believe is on Netflix. Um, there is a really good show, but he's written, he's written a bunch of different series about historical fiction. Um, they're all fantastic, but his favorites, uh, my favorite series of his, is uh, begins with a book called The Last Kingdom, and like the, the same Kingdom. as the TV show. Okay, Bernard Cornwell, he is, he is like he's he is the just the the OG. He's amazing, awesome, and I'm recommended to you because I've been I'll look him up and Killer Angels. I believe it was Jeff Shara. He passed away. His son is Michael Shara. Writes a lot of historical fiction, mainly uh, I think U.S. Uh, American. Uh, military engagements like World War II, World War One, but Killer Angels okay. is all about the three days at the Battle of Gettysburg, and I've read it oh, three times, yeah. I think. All right, cool. And it's that first person. I, I spent a week at Gettysburg once. I almost went to school really? there at the seminary. That's a whole other story. I was accepted at the seminary in Gettysburg about 13 years ago. I decided not to go, but I think I was more entranced by living there in the, on those grounds. That, that would have been pretty incredible. I think uh, when you go, like, I've been to some First World War grounds, and there's a feeling. You can feel something in there, man, mm -hmm. in the air. And I'm sure Gettysburg is the same. Gettysburg, next podcast, we can talk more about that. I've made the mistake yeah, of going it. out at night because I was staying at the seminary. And the seminary is right in the middle of where day one was uh, in the right. fighting. And I went out. I was driving or walking maybe both out on some of the grounds and I had to get back. I, I couldn't, it was, it was quite an experience being out there, but I was also a little scared. Yeah. Well, I'll try, I'll try and get, I'll try and get, if sometimes the only problem is, is like, uh, 
if a book's not available in the UK, it takes weeks to get shipped out here. Okay. But I'll try and I'll try and get that before we talk with each other. Okay? Good. All right. Um, wait a minute, where's it? Geraint. Tell us where, yes. where can people find got you? It. Where I mean, you're on Instagram. They got to find you on Instagram for sure. But tell us where they can. Find yeah. You. So, guys, um, for one, thank you for listening to my ramblings for a while. <laughs> I just wanted to get shown on the phones. This has been this has been awesome and unexpected. Well, we have each pleasure. other's phone numbers. Uh, we'll probably talk a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can get me at, um, at GRJ Books. Um, I'm at GRJ Books on Instagram, Facebook. Um, you know all the usuals. Those are the ones I. Um, those are the ones I use the most. Got my own podcast coming up. We're launching uh, launching January, so we're gonna get gonna get Sean on there at some point. So we're gonna be plugging that close to the time. But, uh, yeah, Sean, thanks so much for having me, dude. It's been fantastic. It's been so much. Oh, fun. I was so excited about talking to you. I always get a little nervous. Because as we say, we know each other, but we haven't really spoken to each other. And I, I love your work, and I love the service thank that you've you. done also. So I thank you for, for everything. And It's all uh, been a pleasure, so thank you. Absolutely. We'll, we'll do some more. I'll be on your podcast. I'll bring you back because I want to talk about writing. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening to the Fitness Unleashed with Sean podcast. I'm Sean Veig. And, of course, if you want to learn more about me, you can check out my website at seanveigfitness.com. Can download my free app, subscribe to my YouTube channel, check out my books, and I'll put that down in the description. Also, I'll put down the information for Geraint Jones in the description as well. But thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying it, please share it on, leave a comment, give it a nice rating wherever you are listening, and we will. Um, I'll look forward to coming at you next time. Thank you very much. Are we on? Good day, my friends. It's Sean V. Quick update for this podcast. I've been calling it the Fitness Unleashed with Sean podcast, but something about that title didn't really stick with me. So as of now, we have a new name for the podcast, simply the Sean V. Podcast. Crystal clear, very easy to remember. Um, It reminds me of a story, quick story. Right now, I go by Sean Vig Fitness. That's my brand. Also, SeanVeigFitness.com is my website. Initially, the title of my brand as I was developing it was Mr. Fitness LLC. A friend of mine, Gabriella, nicknamed me Mr. Fitness when I used to teach about 25 to 30 live classes a week down in Florida. After that, I spent a long night on the phone with Stefan, who's a frequent guest on this podcast, And we were going over and over, what should we name the new webpage and the new brand? For some reason, we stuck on the name Motley Zen. Motley means diverse, Zen means Zen. I was at my now wife's apartment then, Jillian's. Jillian was asleep in the other room. It was a one-bedroom garage apartment. And I was on the couch in the living room having this long discussion with Stefan. So she pretty much heard the entire Discussion from my point of view with my voice, but she had an idea of what was going on. So that night, I went to GoDaddy and purchased Motley Zen as the domain. Of course, I woke up the next morning. The first thing I thought was, what the hell did I do? It's it's too vague. What, What does that mean? It needs to have fitness in the title. So I went back and we took Motley, also because I love Motley Crew. I don't know if Vince Neal knows about the brand, but I hope he does. So we took Motley and Fitness and put that together. So I used Motley Fitness for a while. Then I had a revelation like I did with this podcast name. 
people know who I am. Why don't I put my name in the title? Even if it's hard to pronounce Vig. I've worked with people who have heard me say Vig many times. They still mispronounce it. You should have heard what they said when I played hockey, when they would announce me. The left wing, left winger would come out. I played left wing. I was left-handed. Sean Vig, Vig, Vig. So went to Sean Vig Fitness for the domain. And now, long story short, if I may come around full circle, this is now the Sean Vig podcast. So it's easy to search for. It's on all the platforms. It doesn't have to be so vague, 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 vague. I hope you like it. And thank you so much for listening. Keep leaving those comments. If you're listening on iTunes also, give it a good rating. Hit that five stars and, and leave a review, a comment in your feedback and keep sharing it on. I'm doing a podcast this afternoon with Angela, who is actually my massage therapist, and I train her. And she's from Wisconsin, so we have a lot to talk about. We're always chatting. I thought it'd be really interesting to get her on the podcast to talk about massage therapy and the benefits, and also how she's been reacting to training with me doing the yoga and the Pilates. I'm doing two podcasts tomorrow. First one is with Gwen Lawrence, who is the pioneer. She is the pioneer of yoga and power yoga for sports and athletes. Very excited to talk to her about her long and illustrious history. And then I have a podcast with Tyra, who is a pop star from Luxembourg. She's really been growing, I know, around Europe with singles and albums. And she trains with me via my workout videos. So we can talk about singing. We can talk about the singing business and also how fitness affects how she sings. Watch for those on the podcast. I'm waving my arms around right now as I pace around the living room. And... Keep checking back to the Sean Vig podcast. I hope you like the new name. It's not very fancy, but it is what it is. And sometimes less is more, isn't it? It flows nicely, kind of like our workouts. And next week, I have Leslie Fightmaster and Dean Pullman of Manflow Yoga on the podcast and others. All right. Thanks for listening, my friends. Maybe I'll add some music to these podcasts. Who knows? It's very organic. It's very organic. The conversations are organic. They're conversational. I like that. You should see the notes that I write out. All right, one more thing. Let me tell you about my notes. I make an outline, which is pretty clear, nice structure. And then I start thinking of other things, and I write those in the margins. And then when there's no space left in the margins, I start adding random words and concepts to any open space in that notebook page. So at the end, it's a whole lot of words. It looks like Tetris, but I I understand it. I'm learning how I work in these situations when I'm actually doing the interviewing. So there it is. All right, my friends, thanks for listening. And keep checking back at the Sean Vig podcast. It is official. Good day, my friends. It's Sean Vig with the brand new named... Sean Vig Podcast. So whenever you're searching for this podcast, type in my name and podcast and it will come up for you. I am actually doing, this is a first for me, I'm doing a podcast with my guest who's sitting right next to me. Usually they're many states away or an ocean away or across over in Europe. Today I want to bring on my, she's a friend of mine, a friend, and she's my massage therapist and she is a client. Uh, welcome Angela Ryan. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. And we are actually sitting here in this kind of a holy room in a way. This is, we're in your massage room, 
where I get to come in here about once a week for a 90 minute massage because I train you and then I get massage in return. And we thought we'd do an impromptu, pretty much impromptu podcast, talk to her a little bit about massage and the benefits and see what else pops up. So Angela, uh, you and I are both from Wisconsin, right? Yes. I think the first conversation we ever had was that we are from that beautiful state. And since then, we started a dialogue and we started working together. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into doing massage therapy? Oh, I don't think I've ever shared this with you. You have Do you have an hour? One, I have five minutes. Okay. So um, it all stemmed from the North Fork Volunteer Fire Department. After the Hammond Fire, they talked me into becoming an EMT basic. And then... We're going to fast forward. My daughter was born premature, and to be able to stay home with her, I decided I could stay and take care of my, my husband's grandmother, and her his parents paid for me to take care of her so I could stay home. And because I had that EMT background is why I thought I could do it. And then we had, um, towards the end of her life, hospice came in, and the nurses were phenomenal, and they told me that I would be a great nurse. So I became a certified nurse's aide to see if I wanted to be a nurse. And then I found out I didn't want to be a nurse and looked into physical therapy. And I'm not crazy about the politics and everything that go on in the hospitals and everything mm -hmm. of that sort. So I learned through research that massage, I could do just as much as a physical therapist can do and give my clients the amount of time that they needed focusing on the entire body versus just compartmentalizing. So that's how I ended up with it. I did not know that. I don't think I knew that story. Yeah. And when I come in here to get a massage, we chat all the time. <laughs> yes, because you're, you're more interesting than I am, so we talk about you. Well, not all the time. <laughs> we, we bounce all over the place. That's a good question, actually. I want to veer off on that because I come in here 90 minutes. We chat most of the time. How do you deal with somebody that comes in? Uh, what if they want to talk? What if they don't want to talk? What if they talk too much? What do you do? I usually let them lead that because sometimes the talking can be therapeutic for them. Um, if they have something going on, you know, they'll, I mean, people share a lot of personal things with me, which I will not share with you. Um, and, and it's and that's that's very therapeutic and heal, healing for them, so they can get get it off of their chest. No, I am not a counselor. I don't advise people, um, but I do listen, and I'm really good at listening and just let it go out the other ear. You know, because a lot of times they'll come back and talk to me and think that I should know what they're talking about, but I don't always. Mm -hmm. do you, so it's it's good for them to be therapeutic. So it's it's true. But with me, sometimes when I had my last massage. We were talking about something, or I was gabbing away, and you, you kept saying I was puffing myself up. Remember that? Yes. You said, Sean, relax, you're puffing. I, I, don't, I was talking about something, but did that affect, how did that affect the massage? If I, did I tense up? Yes, yes. So, you were, so when you were taking, I remember, um, when you were taking your breaths, and it's hard for me, for you people out there to see what's going on, but you would like raise up your shoulders, and your, your pecs would actually... <laughs> tighten up but it wasn't like a like a super hypertonic puff it was just enough that it blocked me that I could not um, I couldn't do anything with your muscles 
I was puffing up. You were puffing but it was a good lesson. I, I don't remember what we were talking about. That doesn't matter. But I made a mental note. Next time I come in for a massage, I'm going to relax a lot more. And maybe take, if I can do this, take certain periods where I'm not talking. I don't know if that's possible because you and I gab about a whole bunch of things in the room. When you have a client, what is, and you ask them, what area do you need to have worked on the most? What is the most common area that people mention? Well, the two things that most people tell me is I carry all of my stress in my neck and I have a knot right here. And they'll put their hand wherever. Mm -hmm. um, there are no knots in our bodies. I don't know if I've shared my vision when I hear that from people. I want someone to paint a picture for me because I visualize the muscle man with a bunch of little elves running around and tying knots in their myofibrils. Um, so there's there's actually ischemic points or adhesions. You know that's typically what that knot is that people feel. So people will talk about their knots and they will talk about where they carry their stress, which is usually in the neck or the low back. And my advice is always let it go. You know why are you holding it there? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so. very true. Do you have a a certain style that is your favorite certain style of massage? Well, my focus is on structure and um, pain, uh, like chronic pain, rehabilitation kind of work. So I utilize many different tools. I do deep tissue, neuromuscular, joint mobilization, fascial work, a little bit of Swedish for warming up tissues. Um, and I kind of, as I feel the body and, and feel what's going on, that's how I determine what I'm going to do with each client everybody's different mm -hmm. and I, I said this when I first came in and I've heard other people say it too they come in you say what kind of massage do you want and they say I want a deep tissue and what do you say to that I ask them what do they what do you mean by a deep tissue massage because a lot of people think of deep tissue massage as pain they think the more pain I give them the deeper I'm going which is actually not true because as I'm Working on someone, if you're above a 5 on a pain scale of 10, your muscles have now tensed up, which means I cannot get through your tissues. I can get to somebody's bone, which is as deep as I can go, without giving them pain. So uh, deep tissue is actually, you know, the, the basic description of it is working from your superficial muscles down to your deepest muscles, and then coming back out from the deep to the superficial, repatterning and um, letting the muscles know where they belong. Very good, and that's, what do you say, melt down to the bone? Yes, I melt to the bone. Did but you... I go through your breath and and through, you know, the, the heat of the two, the connection of my body to you, I mean, my hands to your body, mm -hmm. you know, so that's how I get down into the bones. It's rather than pushing and pressing through, which is what causes pain. So how important is the breath of the client in a massage? Well, it's important for everybody to breathe. But how, how important in the actual massage? If you're working on somebody, how important is it? And are most people very successful at their breath during the massage? I will be honest. I don't promote you have to breathe. I mean, if, if I see that people are tensing up and they're not breathing, mm -hmm. then I ask them to breathe. Um, I have clients that come in who have been taught to breathe through other massage therapists. 
and I let them breathe however they want to breathe as long as I can get in and do the work that I need to do. So breath is very important, but I don't teach people how to do it. Well, it is, yeah, it's rather broad sometimes also. Yeah. And if you get somebody, they might overthink it, exactly. and then they'll tense up. I'm not breathing right. Oh, Angela's mad at me. She's going to get the T-bone, T-bar. T-bar. <laughs> T-bone. <laughs> <laughs> no steak this week. Next week, maybe. What's, what's the T-bar? I'm looking at them right now on your the shelf. T, the T-bars are tools that I use during um, neuromuscular work. It helps me get in closer to the tissue. Or, you know, so like when I scroll through your spine, a lot of times people think it's my fingers, but it's those tool, tools that I use because I can get into it closer. Um, they're very direct. When I find an actual trigger point that I can you know, hold it down on there, Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's less work on my fingers. It gives my fingers a break. Oh, and back to the um, trigger points. One of the things I hear from a lot of people is that they have trigger points, and to them, it's um, if I press on their in a sp- certain spot, it hurts. And that to me is not a trigger point. That's typically an ischemic point, which is myofibrils that are um, contracted. And you're not getting the fluids through that should be going through. And what's a myofibril? A myofibril is a very small part of your your muscle. So you've got myofibrils that are wrapped together, and then those are bundled together, and that ultimately becomes the muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, a trigger point is where you press in one place, and then you feel pain or some other sensation, or sometimes it's even a motor movement in a different place in your body. So, hence, trigger. So I touch here, and it triggers something over there. That's amazing. I think my last massage, you were working, I think, an area on my leg, and I kept feeling it in my stomach, in my abdominal muscles. I love when that kind of stuff happens. It kind of reflects onto another area of your body. It transfers. Explain that at a moment. Say, um, I'm having trouble with my shoulder, and sometimes... it's not even what's going on with your shoulder. It's it's ca- coming from another part of your body. Right. So a lot of times when people come in, they'll talk about um, their back hurts, the back of their neck hurts. Um, and it this, I always, bef- before I state what I'm going to say, um, I always palpate and I look at the person's posturing, you know, and I confirm through palpation before I say this is what the problem is. But a lot of times the pain from the back is coming from the front. So if you have back neck pain um, or posterior neck pain, you're, a lot of times you, so your pecs are short and it's pulling your shoulders forward. Um, a lot of times it's because your subscapularis and your um, serratus anterior are adhered together. That's pulling the shoulder forward. So now your back muscles, which are your um, muscles that are trying to keep you up against gravity, are being pulled forward. So they're trying to hold you up, so they're contracting, and now they're becoming eccentrically contracted, which means they're stretched, contracting, and of course they're going to hurt. So if I relax the front muscles, now those back muscles can relax and let go and be where they're supposed to be and hold you up against gravity. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago because I remember off and on for a while I was having little pains in my back. I talked about it in some of my videos too. Upper back, rhomboids, lower back, it would come and go. 
and I came in here and you said no it's not the back it's it's the the shoulders for one my posture I was doing the one thing I always preach against is the rolling shoulders forward in my moments of not teaching or filming it was happening like when the camera's on or I'm in front of a class great posture and then all of a sudden I get in my car and I roll forward and I think in massage too, and I've always thought this, you don't think so much about working the front, like the chest as much. I'm, I'm touching myself right now up here, <laughs> uh, but it's okay. It's, it, this is a massage therapy room. I'm rubbing my, my upper pec, but you, as you said, most people come in and say, I want my shoulders, neck, and back, and they're not thinking about the front of your body. So you did some attachment work up here, I believe, yes. in my chest, right? Yes, yes, because when I work on... so. People will come in and say they want a full body deep tissue. I was taught that it takes about 22 hours to do a full body deep tissue, so it's not possible. Have you ever done one of those? Oh, heck no. Be like an all, all nighter, <laughs> all day? No, I'd be, I'd be quite tired. Uh huh. So and would that, the and client. That would be, be overstimulating <laughs> to any client, too. I rarely do I do a two hour massage, and that's the longest that I would typically do. Um, but with the attachment work, if I go in and scrub the attachments of your muscles, that usually relaxes the muscle itself. So if I scrub there, then I know that the muscle's kind of letting go. And you say scrub, is that? So I rub. Rub, scrub. I, I, <laughs> I, um, is, is rubbing, so. I wish so you no, could no, say, no, I'm, I'm this isn't a video podcast, because no. we're, we're doing all these hand gestures. <laughs> I'm rubbing my chest, you're moving your so, arms so in the air. So you're, comes you know your, your muscle comes in and it attaches to a bone so that it can move the bone mm -hmm. so I will go in I will place my fingers on that attachment of the muscle and I will move you know sometimes I'll just let my finger melt into it sometimes I'll actually do friction friction across it I'm trying to explain what I'm doing well, I see. If you're so, uh, and you're moving the arm, you you press into the attachment, and then you move the arm around. Sometimes I do. That, sometimes mm -hmm. I don't. Sometimes I will do. You know, I'll do movement of my hand to relax it. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah, that was a revelation for me. You think you know a lot, but sometimes you I go on automatic pilot, and as I said, I I wasn't aware of my posture. Like right now, I'm rolling my shoulders back and down, but I was putting pressure on my back and I was rolling my shoulders forward and I was not aligned but I think it's great for the instructors to have these revelations as well yes. so a segue for you then because how many massages do you do a week usually um, anywhere from 16 to 20 hours physically mm -hmm. um, 20 hours is my max so that I don't burn out okay I was gonna ask how do you avoid not burning out we've discussed this before uh, do you get massage very often? I do. I try my very best to make sure that I get a massage at least once a month. Um, I will be honest, lately I've not gotten into my massage therapist, but because I am a massage therapist, I know how to work on myself to make sure that I'm not rolling forward. So if I can't get in, I work on all of my anterior muscles because I can, and that's usually what would cause my back pain. So it works. Okay, so you're able to do maintenance on yourself. Yes. Do you do that daily? How often do you do that? Oh, daily. Like Probably. in between clients? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'll do, I'll do stretches and I'll do a little bit of, the again, the attachment work. Because if I do the attachments, it's going to relax me. And when you're giving massage, where what muscles do you use the most? Hmm. That's a good question. 
Um, probably my legs. Legs. And do you have a system? Because you're going all around the table. Everybody's a different size, different work on different people. How do you keep the wear and tear on yourself to a minimum? Well, again, it's so the reason I use more leg muscles is because I do body weight. Uh, most So a lot of people come up to me and say, gosh, your hands must get really tired and really sore. And I don't use my hands a lot. So if, as long as I'm using my body weight, doing, uh, you know, uh, see now you're the exercise guy, so not necessarily Talk squats. Um, but it's, it's, all, it's all in my, um, my body mechanics. You know, the way I move around the table, dropping my weight in. Um, and with that, for the different body sizes, you know, if, if it's a smaller person, I'm going to squat down a little bit lower to be able to drop my weight into the body, into their body. Mm-hmm. It Does is, that make sense? Yes. Well, it's all distances and, and uh, angles of the person. Uh, right. Were you, did you have to self-learn a lot of that or was that taught to you in school? In school, they taught us Tai Chi to do our body mechanics with. Tai Chi? Yes. Okay. And has so, that helped you? Yes. But what else is helping you? I had mentioned in the opening of this podcast that you have been training with me also for about two months, you think? Three months? Yes. And we just finished a session. We've been doing mainly yoga, some Pilates. Mm-hmm. I always want to... And the yoga, the yoga does help. So how, how is that helping? Because, you know, so I'm catching myself with my scapulas. I'm like, ooh, I need to drop my scapulas because mm-hmm. Sean's always telling me to drop my scapulas. Well, I say um, shoulders, but you're more technical no, than I am. You, you have, <laughs> but you're getting better at being technical. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I'm now finding myself, you know, uh, forming my poses better because of the fact that, you know, I've, I've been, I'm coming up on my 10-year anniversary next year as far as graduating from massage. So I've not had people watching my mechanics to make sure that I'm still doing them correctly. Mm-hmm. So it's great having you work with me to make sure that I'm doing the proper mechanics. And, I mean, we all have our faces in the cradle, the face cradle. I don't see, I see your feet sometimes. Or if I'm on the back, I'm, my eyes are closed. So I, it's amazing. There's a visual in my head when you're doing a massage, but I really don't watch what you're doing. In my classes, working with you one-on-one or in my classes, I'm always watching people. But that was the goal because we talked about, I'm like, hey, Angela, let's get you out in the weight room and do all these weights and battle ropes and burpees. <laughs> like, no, what did you say? You told me. I want stretching and flexibility. Stretching and, and some core and, work. And, and to work with my mechanics. Mm-hmm. To keep me, I need to keep me in good condition so I can continue to keep others in good condition. I think the same way also. And, and have you noticed a lot more awareness in your body oh, yes. since training with me? New awareness. Yes. Had you ever done any yoga or Pilates before you trained with me? Uh, or are you no. all power lifting? <laughs> I don't exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap up he, your knees. He's, and... he's making me be honest with everyone. Uh-huh. No, um, no, and not, never with... And not, never with somebody one on one I've got I've, I have the DVDs and the you know YouTube stuff but my whole reason to come to you was because I wanted you to watch my mechanics and make sure that I'm doing everything correctly you know because that comes along with the whole structure thing that I've talked to you about you know 
for me to do the exercise, I need to make sure that my structure is in alignment and then make sure that I am, you know, tracking properly. And that's what I need from you is to make sure that I'm tracking. Absolutely. When we first started, remember we do a lot of lunges. We still do lunges. But your knee, your front knee would move inward a lot. And that's a big one in my live classes too is I walk down the line and I'm like, put your knee out, put your knee out because you start doing things with the upper body also. You start adding things to the lunge and your foundation suffers. So that's something we worked on. But lately, I don't have to correct that on you anymore. That's because I'm good. You're good? Well, you're aware of your body. <laughs> and I say it behooves me to keep you healthy for my own massages, but also at least half of my clients from here at Nick's Pro Fitness come to see you. We can't say any names though, no. just me. I can only mention me. Correct. But we're one big happy fitness family here. And <laughs> um, good, so we've been training for about two or three months. We just got done with the session and we'll, we'll, we'll keep doing that. And there was one other question I wanted to ask. I asked you this actually before the podcast and you repeated it, which means it's a very good question. Whenever someone asks you a question and you repeat, either you're stalling for time or you're, you're in awe of the complexity of the question. But I have it written down here. I said, Angela, what can a client do for the best massage experience? So, yeah, it, it, it is a great question. Um, a, good, a good night's sleep would be good. Um, hydrating your body. I'm not one that says, you know, drink this much water. I suggest drinking when you're thirsty because your body knows when you need to drink. But if someone comes in and they are dehydrated, that's actually worse than the someone coming in who is very hypertonic because I cannot, I can't, I can barely get through just the skin layer because it's so tight. It, feels to me it feels like a a drum skin and and to try and work through a drum skin to give you um, the results that you're wanting is very hard so sleep hydration um, try not to get a, a ton of caffeine in you you know and if you do drink that much more water in your day um, you know and just, just you know you, I don't know I think that's all I got right Being now. comfortable probably in yeah. release. A uh, big reason I asked that. It's a good question anyway, but it, it was a couple months ago. I had I worked out. I usually do that. I come to the gym like, oh, I'm going to see Angela. So I'm going to do a 30-minute workout. I'll come in all warmed up and stinky. No, I don't, I don't smell. I smell like, like axe. Axe and speed stick. <laughs> but I was I did a pretty intense circuit, work, circuit training workout, and I came in here and... Oh, you said I was dehydrated. First time ever, I was dehydrated. You could feel it in my muscles. So I kept having you hand me my water bottle. Could it work that fast, though, or does it take a little longer for the water to get into my system to actually release the drum skin? I, I would be making up an answer if I answered it. Right it is, it's, I know. I, I don't. I can't answer We'll have that. to... Google we'll have to look that. at it. Yep, that, we'll that's to... a good question because <laughs> I did. I felt dehydrated and it was a little more difficult because we never had that problem before. So that's a very good reason to be hydrated. And I would say be relaxed. You, you have a yes. very relaxing environment. As you said, you go off of them, not only what they want, but also how they're talking, if right. they want to talk. I know my wife comes in. Can I say that? 
That's between you two. <laughs> I cannot say it. I'm going to say my... I have to follow him. Anyway, my wife... Well, let me put it this way. My wife, when she gets a massage, she doesn't talk. Doesn't talk at all. So I'm... I'm you and I are pretty talkative. Uh, so... But that kind of relaxes me a little bit. I don't know. Maybe next time we'll try me being a little more more calm. Well, we tried that on the last one. Okay. Didn't work. It felt weird. I felt like you were <laughs> uncomfortable and I felt uncomfortable. I was not uncomfortable, but I felt your discomfort. Um, so another, another thing to make a good massage is also to be willing to ask questions and tell your massage therapist what you're thinking and feeling. Not so much that you have to talk through it, but... If something hurts, tell your massage therapist it hurts. Or if you're hot, you know, if mm-hmm. the temperature's not right. You know, if a massage therapist doesn't know that they're doing something that you don't like, they can't correct it or change it. So a lot of people will go to a massage therapist and leave and say that was awful and never come back. So the massage therapist can't make changes if they're willing to make changes if they don't know that they need to make a change. And they might be timid. Like, right. Like, oh, so, I so I have a client whose daughter, she's like, oh, I, I, she got her daughter a gift certificate. And the daughter came in, she had the massage, she said it was great, and she left. Well, then I've never seen the daughter. And I, I talked to the mom, and she's like, yeah, she she didn't like that, that chopping thing. So what she's talking about is the tapotement, which in a... Yeah, so the crowd... Especially that's what they always show in movies and television. Mm -hmm. So had she said, you know, that hurts or I don't like it, I could have stopped. And she she still has not come back. Which is okay. I've seen her. We get a... We're we're still good friends. And I would never hold... You know, we don't hold it against each other. But how does anyone correct anything if they're not told Mm -hmm. that they don't like something? She might have... People get nervous. Like, oh, I don't want to say anything because they're obviously professional i'm not i've had i've had a lot of massages since i was about 23 i'm 44 now and that's old you didn't even hear what i said it was 40 something yeah i got you a couple years (laughs) a couple uh, couple years and i've had a couple massages that i did not like very well and i was very open i remember one it was back in minnesota and I kept telling her, I said, you know, you can, you can add a little more oomph to it, a little more pressure, because it was, I'm putting my fingers up in front of the phone right now, like little kneading. It wasn't, I came in for a full body one. And after, I mentioned about three times, and I realized I, I don't know if she can do that. So I, I let it drop, but I never wanted to go back to her anymore. Right. So on the same, on the other well, flip of the coin. massage is all about connection. You know, so as you know, I taught at the massage school, and I did the evaluations for the students there doing deep tissue and also Swedish. And to evaluate them, they had to work on me. And that was the biggest thing that I worked with them. If, you know, if I couldn't feel it, you know, or if it just felt annoying, I would show them, you know, how to connect to the body, you know, because it's not just touching the body. You know, it's actually, you know, most often it's my fascia is connected to your fascia and moving things around. And, you know, and you can breathe with your client. That brings in a connection as well. There's a rhythm. There, there is, yeah. It, it's, it's not just, I mean, people are like, okay, I'm here, give me a rub down. It's not, it's not about a rub down. It's actually about connecting to the tissues and, and you know, and almost being one. Mm-hmm. A rub down, that term, I used to hear that. It comes from like the 1950s where they would put 
was it liniment on you or rubbing alcohol, something, and just rub you? Yeah, it's, that's before my time. That's probably before your time because you're only a couple years older than me. <laughs> but I've, I've, I love old movies, and you watch movies about boxers, and they get the rub down either before or after, and they put all the liquid heat on you. Do you ever use liquid heat? No. What about biofreeze? I have some of that at home. I don't know if I've ever even and used I don't, it. I, I don't care for that. It's, it's chemicals. And, you know, if people put it on, they choose they like it, and it works great for them. That's wonderful, but I don't wish to put it on my hands to put on them. Mm-hmm. It burns um, a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't use it. It's Liquid too heat. much chemicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use salves, and I use lotions, and I'll use the essential oils. Yeah. Okay, so kind of wrapping up here, we talked about massage and working with different people and also you were training you're training with me doing yoga and pilates and how that how that affects your massage what would you say to somebody who comes to you and says why should i have a massage and why should i have a massage with you what what would you say to them well i would so i my question to people are what is it that you're looking for what kind of work are you wanting um you know if they want i just want deep tissue i go into the question of what is deep tissue to you and if, you know, they're just wanting pressure and they want pain, I'll refer them out. I know some people that will hurt them if that's what they want. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. They're not going to intentionally hurt them. <laughs> but I do know people that will give them more pressure. Um, I'm looking for people that, you know, they, if they're looking for structure work, you know, if they're looking for therapeutic massage, those are the people that I would I would work with. You know, are you in chronic pain? Do you need... You know, something removed that you've had for a long time. Not necessarily removed, but my words are not quite right. Um, It's a matter of what is it that you're looking for and can I do it? And Mm -hmm. then I would explain explain to them what their specific ailment is, what I can do, and then see if we also have, you know, um, a connection of the mind, you know, theory, you know... it's it's easier when I have a person with me that says, "Why why should I work?" It's nice. I've it's never a very had that question. It's it's a very personal experience. It is. They come in, and everyone, as we said, have have uh, different ideas if they've never done it before, or if they have had massage before. They all have a different idea of what it should be like for them, right. and then trying to get that rhythm together with you, on a physical and mental level. What are the main benefits of getting? regular massage work it's function function you sound like me I, I talk about function all the time but function of of your of your whole body so I I promote monthly massage and I price myself so people can come in monthly because you know we sit I mean that that's what most of our society I'm not I shouldn't say everybody but most people sit at a desk. Most people sit in a car all day. Mm-hmm. You know, and those your muscles need to be relaxed and lengthened so that you're getting pop, proper function in your body. You know, if you're sitting, everything's getting short and staying short. So your front is short, your back mm-hmm. is long. You're not in proper alignments. You know, so it's very important to get muscle. Have you noticed, you've been almost 10 years now, massage therapist? Yes. Have you noticed over those 10 years, your clients sitting more and more? No, because they've been sitting for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. 
What about cell phone? Cell phone use. Have you noticed? Oh, that's an, job security. An uptick. I I say <laughs> it's gold for myself too. Yeah. Uh, the cell phone posture, the yes. rounded. We were talking about rounded shoulders. What it does to your eyes and your face, and how it tenses up your body looking at a small screen. Right. And it, and it's it not only so it, it's pulling you forward. Everything's shortened, but it's also affecting your whole nervous system and your brain. Because you're no longer standing up against gravity. Every inch your head, your head is forward, I believe it's like 10 pounds, is added to the weight on your neck. So there is a lot more degenerative stuff going on in the neck. Is it degeneration or is it from, you know, doing that posture for too long? And that affects not just the neck. Leaning forward affects all the way down the spinal column, right. doesn't well, yeah. Into the back, into the but, lower but back. Here's, here's the biggest thing is people don't realize that, you know, when you're standing up straight, um, your body's firing messages through your cerebellum up to your brain. But if you're not standing up straight, then your brain's not being, it's not being fired. You're cutting it off. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's why some schools are starting to have the standing desks for, for students because they're learning better standing up versus sitting down. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's a whole another round and probably well, another podcast. Yeah, a whole podcast about cell phone and mobile devices and the posture. One more thing about that is what I noticed, if you see somebody from a distance, if they're sitting down and they're hunched over on their phone, if this was 20 or 30 or 40 years ago before there were cell phones, that posture, the signal of that posture is usually sadness. Yes. If somebody's sad, they, you, know, you, you lean forward, you put your face in your hands, you're hunched over, closed off from the world. You don't want to engage with fear. the outside world. Fear. Because you're, you're hovering and you're protecting your core. Mm-hmm. You're closing off. And, but now you, it's not... I mean, they might be sad, but they're hunched over and there's a device right there in the hands. But I think before all that existed, that's a posture, that's a signal of some kind of sadness or fear. Yes. When you grieve, you don't stand up straight and tall and grieve, you hunch over. And so that was another... um, So that can put you in the, you know, I mean, so if it's a fear thing, even sadness, sadness can be kind of, you know, like your your, uh, fight and flight response. So now your body, so you're in that position, and this is just my speculation, it's not fact or or anything, Um, but when you're in the fight and flight, you're releasing all of these natural endorphins into your body as well that normally should not be firing. And that's a whole nother effect on the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're sitting here, well we're in your room, but we're at a gym and if we walked out into the weight room area, we might see a couple people sitting and hunched over. Angela's looking at the clock. So let's wrap this up. It's actually dark outside now. <laughs> By the way, if you hear a little background sound, it's a fan. We cannot turn that off. But this is probably the quietest room in the gym yes. to do a podcast. They were they were blasting Nirvana out in the weight room earlier, <laughs> which is great. But I get some kind of trademark infringement. I like to end these podcasts, Angela. I wrote out about 25 fun questions. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you all of them. I'm going to ask you twice as many. Awesome. I like to ask a couple. They're fun questions. And um, let's see what we have here. All right, Angela, what was your uh, favorite subject in school? Hmm. I didn't like school. Speak up a little. What did you? Well, it wasn't speech class. (laughs) No, it wasn't. (laughs) Definitely not English. Uh, I said I didn't like school. I, I can't 
This Probably is in Jim. Okay, this is in Wisconsin, right? It was Wisconsin and Illinois. Illinois, we, okay. We moved back and forth. That's right. We always talk about our Midwest connection. Yes. Okay. Um. Oh, some of these are. Do you prefer the mountains or the beach? Oh, I want a mountain with a beach at the bottom. But if I had to choose, I love the mountains. You're in the right place then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen the area you live in. You have a lot of mountains. What is your favorite song to sing in the car or shower? <sighs> I'm big on the favorites. I like favorites. I it makes you really whittle it down. So there's a Mercy Me song, um, The Hurt and the Healer. You sing in the car? I sing with it when it plays. I don't sing on my own. Okay, not a cappella. No. All right. One, hey, let's do one more. Since it is December, this is the season... What is your favorite Christmas slash holiday film? Ooh. We may have talked about this in a massage. If you would have said song, I could answer that. Well, what's your favorite song? So I like um, The Little Drummer Boy. Sung by who? That's too much. For me, <laughs> I would say the version from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. That's really pretty. Yeah. Or Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, I like, I just like to hear it. I don't care who's singing. I'm going to have that stuck in my head now. So no no uh, Christmas film? No. Or or okay. animated special? Uh, so should I go with Charlie Brown? <laughs> Whatever you want. I don't <laughs> want to pressure anybody into saying what their favorite oh, Christmas no, movie is. You know what? I like Rudolph. Yeah, the that's a good one. The cartoon animated. The uh, animated one from the... Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, from way back when we were young. Yeah, that's... Those are so trippy also when you watch those now. They are... There's so much ima- wild. It. No, they're fun. There's so much imagination. There's the Bumble and there's the Island of Misfit <laughs> Toys, and Santa's going to cancel Christmas because of a snowstorm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> great. Well, Angela, this has been great. It's my fir- as I said, my first podcast. Actually, sitting with the person tomorrow. I'm. I have two podcast interviews. I'm doing one. She's in New York. The other, she's over in Luxembourg. Europe. So this is a real treat to sit here in this nice warm massage room because every time I'm in here, it's, oh, you have a great, it's a great room because you walk in here and, oh, I'm here for a massage. Yes. There's no bright lights. You have piano music playing. People want to find out more about you. Where can they go? They can go on the internet to grounded.massagetherapy.com or they can find me at Nick's Pro Fitness. So I'll put this in the description below yes. also because Angela and I talk a lot about marketing. I do a lot of marketing and you do a lot of marketing for your business also. We have similar aspirations, getting more clients and getting more notoriety and how to use social media in the most effective way possible for that. So we'll put that down below and I'm so glad we could do this. I came down to the gym today and I filmed a little bit. We did some training, and then we came in here and did a podcast. I mean, that's a wonderful afternoon right there. It's been a fantastic afternoon. And you get to go have dinner. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to drive home and see Addie. <laughs> and uh, everyone, thanks so much for listening. This is now the Sean Vig podcast, formerly Fitness Unleashed with Sean, which never really sounded right to me. But so is life. We, we try things. We do different things. See what works. Now just type in my name and it will come up on all the platforms. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please give it a good review. Leave a comment below. Please share it on your social media. You can tag me at Sean Vig Fitness. And is 
that about it? Sounds good to me. Okay, I don't have my notes in front of me, so I'm, I'm all spaced out. I think I'm ready for dinner. But thanks so much for listening. Keep checking back. And if you want to learn more about me, you can always check out seanvigfitness.com where you can download my free fitness app, browse my collection of fitness books, and uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And I look forward to coming at you next time. And, oh, wait, I have to. <laughs> there it goes. We've been talking about 40 minutes already. There it is. My stomach is growling. Oh, we're so hungry. All right. Well, thanks for listening, my friends. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Thank you.